This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that is turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Four, three, two, I'm Julia Badalese. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here at the show. I'm joined in studio with my host, co-host, Dewey Badalese. That's me. Hello. How are you doing? We have Seth Bodine, our, um, I don't, what is your title, Seth? Field reporter. Field reporter. That's right. We have <laughs> Seth Bodine. We have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Hello. How's it going? And we are also joined in studio for our live interview with Corey Wong. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. So today on the show, we have a bunch of stuff going on. We'll jump into our interview with Corey in a second, and then we'll go into local, talk about some lead levels in water up here in Fort Collins. We will talk about a Greeley sentence and how that uh, affects legal uh, marijuana in the state. We have a walkout pre-record done by our own Raven Color. Then we have Sports Bjorn, and then we move on to National, talk about a little bit about Jared Kushner, uh, Starbucks, and their new business plan. Uh, West Virginia and the teacher strike, and then Florida gun law, and then followed by the Soja's podcast. It's a lot I, pu- to say. I put Starbucks in there, which is funny because it really stands out considering everything else is a lot more serious. <laughs> I know, I yeah, know. I noticed that while we were going through it, it was like Starbucks. Starbucks, oh. you know, sometimes we need a little lighter of a story. Starbucks. Um, and then we also got roundtable later with, um, we're going to talk about uh, actually the Florida gun control bill. And then we have our music segment done by Monty Daniel, one of our music directors here, um, as well as uh, everyone's favorite segment, weather. Weather. You can't. <laughs> Can't look it up on your phone. Yes, we cannot. But anyways, we're going to jump into our interview now. Uh, J.D., why don't you take it away? So, Dr. Wong, you're the facilitator for the Women's Leadership Series. Can you give us a rundown of what exactly the series is? So we are offering a new series this semester to cultivate leadership skills among our employees, in particular on campus. Uh, It's a three-part series this semester focusing on various different topics. And the second one that we're offering, which is happening tomorrow, is focusing on the very exciting and interesting topic of university funding and budgets. <laughs> you can't have funding without fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So, so what is the uh, what does the funding like directly have to do with the collaborative uh, collaborative program? Well, so the idea behind the series is to provide information so that employees who are interested in developing their leadership skills can have the necessary information and some tips and ideas about just how they can facilitate their own involvement and leadership in the university. So one of the key things if you want to try to get things done on campus is to understand how you can fund certain projects. Um, But money flows to the university in a very complex way to the point that there are different kinds of accounts that certain funds can go into and be used for certain things or not. And then also um, asking for money or getting fundraising, donor funds. Those are also complex processes and we have a lot of divisions across campus that are focused on all those things. But if you're not directly involved in that type of work, then it can all just kind of be unknown, but it's crucial to being able to actually engage and implement and support different ideas to become realities on campus. So for people, including women who are looking for leadership, we just think that this is important information that they otherwise might not have a lot of access to. So the series is being put on by the uh, Women and Gender Collaborative. Can you give us a breakdown to our listeners who might not be familiar with the Women and Gender Collaborative, what it is and what its mission is? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking that question, because the Women and Gender Collaborative was launched officially almost two years ago. It's a presidential initiative uh, that was inspired by President Tony Frank to really focus on improving the culture and climate on campus around gender. So the collaborative is the initiative that I lead, and we have many different programs and areas of focus, uh, but comprehensively, we are trying to improve the culture for employees, including faculty and staff and students. But the collaborative is one entity among many different groups on campus that are directly engaging in work to support women and improve the culture around gender overall. So as the director of the Women and Gender Collaborative, we have our own programming um, and initiatives, so different kinds of conversation series and the Feminist Fight Club on campus. Uh, but then there, we also are working very closely with other groups like the Women and Gender Advocacy Center on campus. I'm sorry, what's the fe- what was the the Women's <laughs> Fight Club? The Feminist Fight Club, that caught your attention. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, 
like that. <laughs> Last fall in September, uh, I partnered with Jessica Bennett, who is the author of a book called Feminist Fight Club. And it's a, written as a survival guide for surviving a sexist workplace. And the mm. idea behind it is to provide some information and really punny uh, names to identify problematic behaviors that most people have encountered a lot in their lives. But it is really practical and then it gives concrete strategies for how to interrupt and uh, intervene when you see those problematic behaviors called fight moves. Ooh. And the idea of bringing it to campus was to provide shared resources so that people could say like, oh, here's something that happens all the time. I don't like that I feel like I always have to be the one to try to interrupt it or I don't have power in the situation to do so. So the intention was to give people shared resources and shared strategies to be able to support each other with different kinds of like named tactics and strategies. Okay. And we actually have a student feminist fight club too that is uh, tailoring a lot of the ideas and strategies for how students can support each other in the classroom. So mm. if you have a student who like talks too much or always has to mansplain an idea or something like <laughs> that then it's the idea is to give the spirit behind like students have the power to support each other and kind of create environments where everybody's voices can be heard and supported That's super cool that should be taught in a class or something or you could just join the feminist fight club that's true <laughs> so a key component of the women's leadership series is uh the people you're bringing in for your panels. Can you give us a sort of a breakdown of that or maybe your favorite? Yeah. Um, the idea behind this series, it spawned several years ago. So I'm not going to take credit for initiating the idea. But in previous iterations of trying to develop women's leadership, we had looked outside of the university for resources and people to come and like facilitate workshops. This series is unique because we actually looked internally and we saw that on our campus we have so many amazing women leaders who have done fantastic and awesome work and are always advocates for really great change um, so we actually on all three of the panels for the series have invited women from all many different ranks but some of the highest ranking women in the university so we have vice presidents uh, on this panel in particular we have the vice president for university advancement Kim Tobin and the vice president for university operations Lynn Johnson and we have a dean for one of the colleges Jan Nerger talking about what it's like to fund a college but then the next series or the next program in the series, we have uh, some trailblazing vice presidents too, uh, Vice President for Student Affairs Blanche Hughes, and the Vice President for Diversity Marion Tavares, and then many others. So it's really awesome that we don't have to look far to find great examples and role models of women in leadership to cultivate the leadership on our campus here. For sure. It's definitely nice to have like, like someone on campus that we can like easily access and talk to you about mm -hmm. stuff like this too. Yes. Um, I was actually wondering what your favorite experience has been so far, because it's been going on for about a month now, right? Or, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, the first program of the series was last month, mm, okay. and it was um, a little bit more informal of mm. some women across campus sharing tips and their own experiences of their leadership development. And it was just really fascinating. Probably a really cool thing that came out of that was that the audience participation um, offered up a lot of really interesting ideas too and tips for how to support each other. So yeah, we have great access to leaders who are in prominent roles of leadership, but it's obvious when you get into these spaces and create these spaces that there are plenty of leaders in various different types of ranks and positions throughout the institution who have something to contribute to the conversation and then also to offer others in community. Yeah. So when is your, when is your next meeting for the collaborative, for the women's collaborative? Um, well, the Women and Gender Collaborative is just kind of what I do every single day as the director. Okay. Um, the next program for the Women's Leadership Series is on April 6th. Okay. And how would how would somebody on campus like be a part of or like join the Feminist Fight Club, as you mentioned before? Yes. Um, so the Feminist Fight Club, we have it in two, central, two different types of groups. I lead the Feminist Fight Club for employees, which is open to faculty and staff. And the best way to join that is to just email me. <laughs> and then the Feminist Fight Club for students is led by a student, Javon Lovato. And it, the best way to get in contact is to just email him. Email. <laughs> <laughs> but we also have information on the Collaborative's website. So for this and all the programs and everything else that we've got coming out of the Collaborative, including what other groups on campus are doing, you can go to uh, the Collaborative's website at 
thecollaborative.colostate.edu. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for uh, having for joining the show. I'm sorry, but I think uh, we're running out of time here, so we're going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to jump into local and sports. So, uh, yeah, just stay tuned here at the Rocky Mountain Review, 90.5 KCSU for Colin. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am one of two hosts here on the show, Gabe Peterson, which makes Julia Badalise my other host. That is me. And we have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent in studio. As always, I'm here. We're joined with Seth Bodine, our field reporter. I'm here in general. <laughs> and Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter. How's it going? It's going. Uh, we're going <laughs> <we're> to <laughs> jump right into local news, and I'm actually going to start that off. So Spring Canyon Water and Sanitation District, a Fort Collins water district, warned its residents of elevated lead levels in their tap water. According to J.C. Marmaduke of the Coloradoan, Spring Canyon serves close to 2,100 residents and will have to change treatment procedures after a federal test revealed lead concentrations in the water were well above a regulatory level. District operator Sean Dibble claims that the the lead came from soldering pipes in residents' homes. Marmaduke reports that northern Colorado water is more susceptible to corrosive pipes, especially because smaller Colorado towns do not have updated infrastructure and have fewer financial services available to them. The district informed its residents in a letter this February and has since hired an engineer to create a cost-effective solution to the problem and will send its findings and data to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment by June 30th, 2018, reports Marmaduke. So for our next local story, I'm going to send it over to you, Bjorn. Although marijuana is legal in Colorado, people are still finding ways to break the law. Tyler Greco, a 33-year-old resident of Greeley, was sentenced to two years in prison on Tuesday after he pleaded guilty to possession of marijuana concentrate with an intent to distribute it. In Colorado, this type of offense carries the weight of a Class three drug felony. According to the Greeley Times, Greco is an employee of a local garden store called Green Thumb Garden Supply and used that business as a front for a massive marijuana operation. The store was a focal point of a months-long investigation by the Weld County Drug Task Force, according to Lieutenant Steve Black, who led the task force. Black said store employees packaged marijuana shipments among garden supplies that they sent out of state to customers. Colorado police traveled as far as Ohio and Iowa to follow the shipments. Greco wasn't acting alone. There were two other employees arrested, Michael Conway and Randall Zanstra. Conway and Zanstra both have upcoming court appearances. Now I'll send it over to Julia. Yeah, um, we're actually going to go into a pre-record done by um, Raven Color. She is our local and community correspondent. She just got that title today. I finally thought of it. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> she's gonna. She did a uh, wonderful interview with some of the people that went to the walkout on Tuesday. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on ninety point five KCSU Fort Collins. Approximately 1,500 students from Pooter School District met in downtown Fort Collins on Tuesday. What else do we want? To feel safe! And when do we want it? Now! At 12.55, before the official protest began, a group of vivacious middle schoolers stood on the stage of the amphitheater and sung out chants. Then, a young woman who goes to Pooter High School took a megaphone in her hands and spoke to the crowd. You all just met 17 people. We want you to imagine that you would not have the opportunity to meet those 17 people because someone took their life. That's what happened to a community in Florida just two weeks ago. And that is not the only place that has happened. We want that to resonate. We demand change. This is our job until we have gotten changed. We are not one school, we are not two schools. 
The rally began with 17 minutes of silence. One minute for every person killed in Parkland, Florida, just two weeks ago. But the students would not remain silent for much longer. We want change! 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 I go to Lincoln Middle School and I'm 13 years old. Um, I'm 12 and I go to Lincoln Middle School. I am 13 and I go to Lincoln Middle School. We're 11, and we're 11 to 12 from Lesher, Lesher Middle School. I go to Fossil. I'm just here as a parent. And each protester certainly had a lot to say. There's a lot of violence going on and you can't feel safe in our schools because of the lack of gun control. We're supposed to be safe at our school. We're supposed because to, that's a place to learn and to grow and nobody should invade that. Like, I feel like we should all be protected. Since I don't want to be fearful in school, I want to be protected, and I shouldn't be fearing my life. I am here to protect these kids. These kids are crying for help. It needs to stop, that's all, that's for sure. I'm 62, and I'm of the generation that uh, got us where we are today. It's our fault. It's our freaking fault, okay? And these kids are going to change it, and we got to support them. You know, it's their world, not mine anymore. When I become older, I think that it would be my job to make sure that kids don't get shot. The beauty of this is that we advocate for more than just ourselves, so the students that are here I think are representing far more than the folks who could be here. I don't know why people are protecting their guns more than their kids, and it's a problem. I'm one versus millions of other people. We're not trying to just ban all guns, we're just trying to be safe in our schools. I love that everyone came out and we have plenty of future actions uh, laid out quite yet, but when they get there you'll hear about them because we won't stop until there's change. As the protesters filed out of the square around 2 p.m., a group of don't tread on me flag wielding counter protesters took the stage. While protest volunteers tried to move protesters out of the area, some nonviolent clashes did occur. However, the counter protesters also had something to say. We need both sides represented here, and I think that uh, we're definitely the minority, obviously, here. And both sides need to be represented equally. I think that we have a right to be here and have our voice heard, as well as all of them. Because we got a lot of hate here today, and they were saying no hate, no fear. We don't want any fear, but we don't want any hate either as well. We're just here making sure that we stand our ground as well uh, in this place, where we can also uh, mourn for those who were lost but also recognize that uh, there needs to be change made, but not the change that they want. The main speaker for the protest did comment on the value of the counter-protest. We understand that they may not get our message. We don't want to take their guns away. We just want to have our right to live in schools. And I'm sure they want the same. A lot of those kids I'm friends with, I go to school with, I hold nothing against them. I understand why they came out here. I just hope that this will open up discussion between us. I know a lot of those people and I respect them and I hope that we can come to a solution. By the time most of the protesters and counter-protesters had headed back to school or were on their way home, a small group had stayed behind, sitting and talking about the issues. Like, I don't understand this stuff, you know? really are fear and unknown on And welcome back. Uh, thank you, Raven Color, for doing that segment. Um, it was great that she went to uh, went to the protests and kind of got some coverage for it. So thank you so much, mm -hmm. Raven. Uh, we're going to send it over to Bjorn now for sports. Yeah, slow sports day today, but CSU wrapped up their challenging season last night in their, their last regular season game. The men lost 108-87 to against New Mexico. 108 points is the third most surrendered in CSU basketball history. Interim head coach Jace Hurl said, "I don't think we came out with I don't think we came out ready to play, which was disappointing. I didn't think we were ready to play, and it showed. The game was lost in the first eight or ten minutes. Guard Prentice Nixon led the Rams with 27 points, but it was not enough to keep the game close. CSU now turns its attention to the Mountain West tournament in Las Vegas. The team will start the tournament as the tenth seed and will either play Wyoming, UNLV, or Utah State on Wednesday, March 7th." The Rams softball team continued their hot streak in their home opener last night. The ladies defeated Northern Colorado 9-4. to 
CSU started off slow but came alive in the sixth inning, and that's where they scored the majority of their runs. Both Hannah McCorkill and Madison Kilcrease hit home runs for the Rams. The team will be in action next at the San Diego Classic this weekend as they play five games against non-conference and Power 5 foes, spanning from Friday to Sunday. And that wraps up your sports this Thursday. Yeah, thank you. Um, We will be coming back here in just a second with national news as well as um, our science news done by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Matt Pompier, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here on the show. I'm joined with my co-host, Julia Battle. me. Uh, J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Howdy, howdy. And Seth Bodine, our field reporter. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> He's uh, not in the field. Good. What's he doing here? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're going to jump right into national news, and I'm going to send that first story over to you, Julia. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so first son-in-law, Jared Kushner, husband of first daughter Ivanka Trump, has lost his top security clearance as of Tuesday, February 27th. This means that he will no longer have access to the top secret documents, such as President Trump's daily briefings, of which he once had access to, according to Politico. Kushner is not alone in this um, demotion, as everyone with top secret clearances were downgraded to the secret level. Which still sounds kind of important, if you ask me. The secret level. The secret level. Um, <laughs> Kushner's attorney, Abe Lowell, wow, I'm having a problem. <laughs> Abe Lowell has said that this downgrade of clearance will not affect his ability to do the work assigned to him by the president. This all comes from a scandal that showed that many White House aides have not gained per, um, permanent security clearances, but had access to some of the nation's top secrets anyway. Despite the claims that his downgrade of clearance will not affect Kushner's work, the new limits on the information he will have access to actually will affect his work, as well as as well as well um, raise questions on the rest of his time in the White House, according to the Chicago Tribune. Additionally, people are questioning Kushner's involvement in Kushner Companies, a real estate developer based out of New York. Lowell Kushner's attorney claims that Kushner had no active role in Kushner Companies since joining the federal government. And I'm going to send it over to Seth. So uh, Starbucks is making some sweet business moves. Oh, um, sweet. In in the face of decreased foot traffic in traditional Starbucks locations, the coffee juggernaut has invested in new store concepts. Last year, Starbucks surpassed McDonald's for the most locations in the United States, but with a slow decline in traffic, concerns were raised that the company had opened too many stores, reports CNBC. Co-founder and executive chairman Howard Schultz is heading an expansion of the high-end cafes called The Reserve, with its flagship location in the Starbucks headquarters in Seattle, Washington. The Reserve locations boosts a a selection of higher-end Seattle Reserve roast drinks, as well as a, quote, mixology bar and food from Princey Italian Bakery, an artesian artisan... uh, bakery based in Milan, which Starbucks invested in during 2016. Starbucks has has long-term plans to open 30 reserve roastery emporiums, 1,000 reserve stores, and add a reserve bar to 20% of existing locations. The company is also monitoring the success of 45 tiny cafes built inside containers, oh, built inside shipping containers and intended to be transported between locations, according to Lindsay Lowe of the Today Show. The first portable store in Colorado was opened in Northland in 2012 and measure at just 450 feet. So small. (laughs) These cafes use less space and water and are intended to serve areas which are not optimal for permanent storefronts. When Northland when North Glen Tiny Cafe became popular, a larger permanent store was built and the portable cafe was moved to a new location. 
Can we uh, can we talk about the fact that they got shipping containers? Yeah, to I know. Put when, their... did, when did coffee just become such a <laughs> yeah. such think, a luxurious movement? I think. Listen, I think the I think... idea behind that business move was that Starbucks realized that they weren't getting the hipsters anymore, yeah, and so they were like, "Let's put it in a storage con- or in a shipping container." Well, especially yeah. in the Seattle port, just like send them out there and then just start yeah. making coffee. I guess. But if yep. you put it in in the Seattle port. Against other shipping containers, which one's the Starbucks? I don't know. Maybe, it's a mystery. Maybe it's just it's, like, oh my god, it's like you have to waiver. find your Starbucks. Oh, you it's have the to most hipster innovation they've done. They are <laughs> racking up business well, now. And they're what you're get, they're getting like um, bakery items from um, Milan, Italy. From Milan, I know <laughs> that is who needs ridiculous. to buy your coffee at a store when you can just find it. It's like a game <laughs> of hide and seek. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, just give me a light roast every morning. That's all I need. I don't even know. Americano, fancy. cappuccino, frappe. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't <laughs> even was, know the That was like five names. different drinks. There was well, like I the don't unicorn know. frap for a while. It's like, oh, come on, oh, guys. God, you really yeah, yeah, that in the middle on yeah, what's drinkable. All right. Let's uh, wrap up national news. Um, well, I guess I'm not wrapping you up. You are. But you are I'm, next. I mean, that's true. Uh, schools in West Virginia are opening back up today after a walkout by teachers forced them to close. According to ABC News, the teachers were protesting low pay and projected increase in their insurance costs. The protest began last Thursday when teachers and service members in all of West Virginia's 55 counties walked off the job. They noted that they, that they were among the lowest paid teachers in the country. The union leaders for the teachers met with Governor Jim Justice on Tuesday evening and came up with a plan which should give teachers a 5% pay increase. The state House of Representatives confirmed this plan with a 98-2 vote. However, there was no final answer over the rising costs of the insurance plan, but Governor Justice... Um, Governor Justice ordered a task force to find a solution and consider various possible methods, including a dedicated additional tax on the state's growing natural gas production. West Virginia Education Association President Dale Lee said at a news conference that, quote, we believe the best course of action at this time is to return to school, although we realize not everyone will. According to the Washington Post, some teachers are not totally satisfied with the plan. They were still concerned about health care, and if the agreement fell apart, would they still have the support of the public? Lauren Funderburk, a teacher in one of uh, West Virginia's counties, said, quote, I guess it's a good start, a good starting place. Even if we didn't get everything that was expected right now, it's out there. We're working toward it. CNN cites that the majority of teachers are happy to see their protests made a difference and that they had so much of the public on their side. And I'm going to send it over to J.D. for the last national story. Following the wake of one of the deadliest school shootings in U.S. history, the Florida state legislator is pushing a bill to arm and train teachers with firearms. The bill would provide $67 million to train and establish school marshals to act as undercover deterrence to to potential shooters. The bill would also include several changes to current Florida gun regulations, including raising the purchasing age of a firearm from 18 to 21, as well as banning bump stocks, the conversion that allows some semi-automatic rifles to fire at almost automatic rates. The bill also introduces a three-day waiting period for firearm purchases and increased expenditure into school mental health resources. Governor Rick Scott of Florida had this to say about the bill. I want to make it virtually impossible for anyone who has mental issues to use a gun. I want to make it virtually impossible for anyone who is in danger to themselves or others to use a gun reports Willa Frege of the Huffington Post. Florida is not the only state to propose and push changes in firearms legislation, with Texas already implementing its own Marshall program and states like Utah, South Dakota, Ohio, and Wyoming looking into their own similar programs. Hmm. And that is the topic of a roundtable, so you can always stay tuned and give us your feedback for that. Yeah. Yeah, we, absolutely. We like comments. We love comments. Yeah, if you want to text <laughs> or call in at any time during the show, especially for the roundtable, uh, the number is 970-491-5278. Again, that number is 970-491-KCSU. Uh, we actually are going to wrap up National and Global News now. We're going to move into our Sustainable Digest podcast this week, and it, this one is done by Carolina Gutierrez, and it is about climate change. So enjoy. Welcome to this week's Sustainable Digest, a short weekly news segment where we cover local sustainability news and events as well as current conservation and sustainability issues from around the globe. 
this week on the Sustainable Digest, how climate change is radically altering the distribution of life on Earth. Right at this moment, a Tesla, helmed by the intrepid Starman, is in space, charting a course towards the outer reaches of Mars. That irresistible piece of real estate strung halfway between hope and delusion. Also, at this moment, one can be certain that somewhere on a rubber dinghy are refugees in the middle of a perilous sea, drifting towards an uncertain future. And more certainly, at this very moment, a scraggly polar bear is swimming in search of an ice raft in the middle of the sparkling blue Arctic Ocean. Starman, the people on the dinghy, and the polar bear are all climate migrants who stand testimony to the fact that climate change is not imminent. We are in its throes. Climate change is predicted to catalyze the migration of up to a billion people by 2050. These include both internal and cross-border displacements in response to disasters, such as extreme flooding, persistent droughts, and sea level rise. A recent report released by the United Nations Development Programme posits migration as a key adaptation strategy to climate change for many vulnerable communities, particularly in the developing world. Migration, however, is just one adaptation strategy. In many nations, efforts are underway to improve the resilience of vulnerable communities to climate impacts. For example, many island communities are experimenting with saline-tolerant varieties of rice paddy to adapt to sea level rise. Despite efforts to increase resilience, regional powers like India, the European Union, China, and the United States will have to accommodate climate refugees from neighboring nations. Unfortunately, so far, much of the responses by these nations have been limited to building border fences. People are not the only ones moving in response to a changing climate. Animals are moving too. Studies show that on average, terrestrial species are moving poleward at a rate of 17 kilometers per decade. A recent study in the journal Science shows how climate change impelled global redistribution of species is having far-reaching impacts on human food security, health, and well-being. At smaller scales, these movements are bringing humans and animals into more intimate contact than ever before. For example, in eastern India, in the Sundarbans Delta, as sea levels rise, local communities and tigers are increasingly finding themselves sharing the few islands that are safe from the sea. The recent successful launch of the Falcon Heavy rocket has heralded a new age in space exploration. Colonizing Mars seems less like science fiction now. Yet, before we become an interplanetary species, there are many challenges that we as communities and nations have to contend with. This will include mitigating climate change and in the interim, accommodating migrating people, plants and animals escaping rising seas and temperatures. In his seminal book, political scientist and historian, Benedict Anderson described nations and states as nothing more than an imagined community. Perhaps then, now more than ever, we need to reimagine what our community is. We are earthlings first. We, the people on the dinghy and the polar bear, all deserve a fighting chance at life on the only planet in the universe we know to be home. As for Starman, Bon Voyage friend. This digest was written and brought to you by Rekha Varier in the School of Global Environmental Sustainability at Colorado State University, Fort Collins. For more information, you can check out iTunes, SoundCloud, or KCSU-FM. And thank you so much, Carolina. Um, that was the School of Global Environmental Sustainability giving us their weekly sustainability digest. Um, stay tuned. We'll be coming back here in just a second with um, our roundtable discussion on the gun control bill in Florida. And then we still have our music segment done by Monty Daniel coming up later. And uh, I believe J.D. Layton will be standing in for our meteorologist today because Gabe Peterson had a meeting. Uh, call me the junior apprentice meteorologist. I am not going to do that. <laughs> Stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
KCSU is supported by Washington's in Fort Collins. Upcoming shows include Martin Sexton with Keller Williams on March 11th. Tickets and info at WashingtonsFoco.com. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Batalise. I am your host today because uh, the other co-host had a place to be. Um, and uh, I am in here with, um, sorry, J.D. Layton in our national news there correspondent. You go. I wasn't having a problem. It was fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in here with uh, Seth Bodine, our field reporter. Why you aren't in the field, no one will know. So yeah, do you do a lot of reporting on fields? I feel like they're fairly flat. They, they're the worst. They vary. <laughs> I've seen a like lot this. of fields in my life. <laughs> With a title like field reporter, I would hope so. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, we are going to get into... Why are you doing this? We are going to get into our discussion today about... Um, what was it? What are we talking guns. About? Gun it's control. guns. It is guns. Um, so give us a little rundown, JD, because that was your write-up, correct? Right, it was. So... This is uh, just based off the story. So Florida is changing its gun laws, basically banning uh, bump stocks, which allow uh, semi-automatic weapons, to, specifically like AR-15s and things like that, to fire at almost automatic rates, raising the, the gun age, providing substantial resources to schools for mental health, as well as a program they're calling school marshals, which are sort of like air marshals, but in schools where teachers uh, conceal carry firearms. You're not. You don't know who has it. Is is the purpose? But it's like, they're there. Act as an additional deterrence to potential school shooters. For me, I think that that uh, the other things I'm I'm fairly in favor of. I think they're good steps in the right direction, and I and I feel like they're not like nuclear, nor do they sort of infringe on the Second Amendment. But the arming teachers seems like a bit ridiculous. I've had teachers throw like chalk and and yeah, erasers markers. at me. I don't I don't need. Yeah them to have guns and i don't necessarily think that most of them want to too but if if you did I, I feel like there should be a bit of a provision for that but i feel like that's a probably a very minute uh group of people within uh the teaching as well as a like coaching environment mm -hmm. yeah i think it's kind of weird to like fight guns with guns it seems like a very like fight fire with fire kind of situation it seems like a, a nuclear option like the, the thing that comes to mind it's very much a brinksmanship term it's like well they've got guns we need guns too so we can shoot our guns at them so they don't shoot their guns at us <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> why don't we just give them all shields <laughs> yeah, but i also feel like taking a bit of a passive stance on it doesn't necessarily solve the problem either and yeah, i think exactly. it's i think just giving shields or guns doesn't address yeah. underlying issues that are, are causing the problems that was a joke by the way oh please, no, obviously please don't, <laughs> please, please right. don't assume that the uh, answer is giving teachers shields and uh we know that this is a, a hot topic so we'd absolutely love to hear what you guys have to say you could always call or text in at 970-491-5278 colorado obviously is not immune to these tragedies and things like that we've had our fair share looking back a couple, couple of years ago colorado springs was Shot up. There was also uh, Aurora, Aurora Columbine. Columbine. So we mm -hmm. we are no strangers to gun violence here. So obviously we have uh, solid opinions. We'd absolutely love to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. Once again, nine seven zero four nine one five two seven eight. If you want to get involved, um, Seth, what's your what's your stance on it? Well, this whole thing questions the role of educators now with the um, introduction of the school marshals idea um it's shifting from educators from being primarily just educators and somewhat uh parental figures to some to uh and protectors mm -hmm. which i mean i don't know how i feel about that i think it's well as as a counter to that as a parental figure shouldn't you also be a protector of the right. people underneath you i would Certainly like to think that uh, like teachers could take a stance in that capacity. Like uh, looking back at uh, the Parkland shooting, there were several teachers who, who did do that. And I know that one of the big arguments for arming teachers is it's like there are these people who are willing to do that, to take that stance. Uh, why not give them the capacity to do that to the best of their advantage? Just seems like it's not their job, you know. Yeah. It seems like it's more of like a security guard's job to be you know wielding the weapon and ensuring that i feel like you know these teachers go to school to um you know learn how to educate the next generation not protect them um 
And I think that's that's the, just the weirdest thing to me is thinking that like someone who's supposed to be like giving you homework and, you know, teaching you um, something that you'll hopefully use in, for the rest of your life, um, you know, is going to have to protect you. It just seems like it's not the environment that you should need to be protected in, you know? Right. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. there should be no reason why school should be places that are so prone to violence. It's 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 a complete like antithesis of what they try and foster and cooperate. And it's it's pretty sad. Yeah, and this has happened to elementary schools, to high schools, to um, colleges like Virginia Tech. So it's really like no particular education system that's in um, that's particularly safe anymore. So I think as we uh, move on, we're we're starting to question the role of educators and if they should hold guns or not. Yeah, and I, and I think a good place to look at this right now is is Texas, oddly enough, because they apparently already have a program in place for this. And I've been trying to find some stuff to see if it's been beneficial or not. And uh, it's it's sort of coming up scarce, but it's, it, it's and I, I had no idea up until the point of, of writing this article that such a thing was even in place, though I, I believe it given Texas. Um, mm. But it, it would it's just interesting to see like how that sort of plays into it all and it like if it's actually a beneficial thing or if it's just they're doing nothing or if it's actually really bad. Where are you? What's happened in Texas? Give us a rundown. <laughs> Texas is its own place. <laughs> um, I also want to mention we had a text in uh, from a teacher. She said he or she said, uh, uh, I didn't sign up for that. So not in favor. There, that's a that's a there perfect example of it's like I, and and I mean that makes sense because it's like it. I feel you like most yeah, most teachers, professors, they you know they go to school to um you know really like feel like they're making an impact, not like I don't know protecting. Yeah, looking looking back to adding security guards to to schools and stuff, I remember reading a couple articles about that from. Mm-hmm. From when it came out, it was it was there was a lot of pushback for that. It's like, well, why would we need these armed individuals who aren't necessarily teachers or anything like that? And I think that this sort of follows a similar mindset. And I guess we'll, we'll just have to see how it ends up panning out. I I'm fairly certain that this bill will get passed in in Florida's legislature. The the so. only thing that I could see stopping it would be uh, the Florida governor because the only he seems fairly in favor of it, except for arming teachers. Which is which is respectable. That's about where I sit on the position as well. I <laughs> doesn't the uh, the legislation also propose a minimum a new minimum age of twenty one? Yeah, no, that was yeah. that's a major component of it. Right, and so is uh, extending background checks. There, so mm-hmm. there's a three day waiting period where they go over right. a little further, and then there's the ban of bump stocks, which I don't I don't even get in the first place. It's just such a frivolous ridiculous thing you mean um, the the ban or the the bump stocks in general oh bump stocks in general yeah, the ban like... the ban is worthwhile i remember yeah. the first time i came across them at a, at a gun show i was like you're literally voiding federal law so you can get a f- uh, like an automatic firearm and that's yeah that's sketchy and not really i'm not really a big fan of that yeah. it's like you need a class three weapons permit for a reason you shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to just sort of buy this plastic piece that lets you do that yeah i um i think i'm quite on like the opposite side when it comes to gun control i'm like pretty like <laughs> against guns um and i feel like kind of like that three day it was three days right yeah for the um background check i think it i honestly think that's not long enough i feel like it should be longer you shouldn't be able to get it within a week you know i feel like it should it should take a little longer to get something that has that much power you know what i mean well i mean um, you can buy a car at the moment and you can like looking at in paris uh, you could drive trucks into crowds there's lots of ways and lots of different capacities to do it so i guess but it's like guns only have one purpose as opposed to you know vehicles vehicles have a purpose of going going somewhere while while guns prim- primarily are just used for killing whether it be a person or an animal, whatever, it's still. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily think that guns. Guns don't just serve the purpose of of killing. There's a sporting aspect to them. There's also a home defense aspect. There's also the capacity to defend your rights. I mean, that's the biggest component for me. Is is 
It's like, I don't want the social contract I have with the government to be violated. And if there's any capacity where I feel the right, where I need to defend that and my rights, I will definitely take that into account. Mm. It just feels like such an, an old, like an old idea uh, in the constitution to me that I just, I, I've never really understood it myself. Yeah. I think the, the thing that comes to mind is Australia implemented a, a, a gun buyback in, in 1996 which has had varying levels of success. I know that they've seen uh, declines in, substantial declines in gun violence, obviously, but there's also been uh, other various aspects of violent crimes that are still active that it hasn't necessarily solved retroactively. Um, so I don't think something like that would necessarily work very well in the U.S., especially given how we're very much pro-gun in our own in our own mindset. But I think, yeah, I think Americans are, it, it is definitely like a different... Um, place i guess in my opinion i feel like you have to start a little slower in the the u.s if you were going to go about that just because people are very um very about their rights here um which yeah uh <laughs> but um yeah for sure anything any last thoughts seth Jason? yeah i mean it, it gets complicated when our nation is based off of a document with lists of fundamental rights which Included in that is the right to wear arms, so that interpreted to be guns. or So it's makes the situation a little bit more messy when it's in the supreme the law of the founding land. Con- like founding documents of the country. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that's going to round up a uh, roundup. It's going round to- up our round table <laughs> with a rounding aspect. God. All right. Stay tuned. Looks yeah. like we've gone full circle. <laughs> We are going to take a quick break here. We'll be back here with our music segment, our Rocky Mountain music segment done by uh, our own Monty Daniel, our uh, one of our music directors here. Um, and we still have uh, weather coming up, everyone's favorite segment. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Project 3125 provides support for Colorado women and families journeying out of abuse. They provide programs for children, legal advice, financial services, and counseling for you and your Colorado family. Project 3125 gives you tools and resources to navigate out of abuse and help you thrive, regardless of your age, race, religion, gender identity, or economic standing. Project 3125 focuses on education, prevention, and self-sustainability. For more information on giving, serving, or to receive help, visit project3125.org. Project 3125 is about finding a way out. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Julia Battelise, your host for today. I am in here with my national news correspondent, J.D. Layton. Howdy, howdy. I'm also in here with our field reporter, Seth Bodine, who is currently not in the field, obviously. I'm currently scouting out fields. It's a process. This is really stupid. Why do you Why do you make these jokes? Uh, <laughs> don't not. ever stop. <laughs> we'll turn off your mics. What? I'm sorry. I don't know why these squeak so much. All right. Well, we are going into our Rocky Mountain music segment with our own Monty Daniel, our music director here. Uh, Stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. That music segment was done by our own Monty Daniel. Um, killing it. She's she's getting really good at these music segments. Always spicy, always dicey. <laughs> Why? All right. We are going to go into the weather uh, by J.D. Layton because our Say meteorologist... Say my title. It's the Junior Apprentice Meteorologist. <laughs> junior Apprentice? Yeah. I told you we don't have a lot of time and you're still Anyways. cracking jokes. <laughs> So you guys already know how Thursday's rolling out. It's uh, partially cloudy and uh, high 49. It'll dip down to 29, but we're hitting Friday 
all sunny. It's about a peak in almost 60 degree weather, and it's going to be a wonderful day. You better watch out. But it will get a little nippy with a low of 25. <laughs> Coming up Saturday, it's another beautiful Colorado day. This time we're peaking into that 62 degree mark. Ooh, what a lovely day for scouting the mountains. <laughs> with a low of 33, but watch out. Sunday comes in with clouds. Better keep inside for that one. But it's not going to be that cold. Nice 52, the low of 33. All right, I'm, I'm making this come to an end because this is absurd. Oh, they, the people want more of the junior apprentice meteorologist. <laughs> I don't want any more. I need to sign off and I'm crying. So on Monday, we have partially cloudy <laughs> weather with a high of 41 and a low of 24. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will turn off your mic. Stay Jane. tuned for Tuesday's weather forecast Lighten. with our regularly scheduled meteorologist, Jane Peterson. Chitty Layton, stop it. All right. We <laughs> thank you to our reporters who helped us today. We had Raven Color do a wonderful pre-record interview for, for us. We also had Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter, um, as well as just a regular reporter. Come on. Um, thank you to the School of Global Environmental Sustainability, as well as Monty Daniel for doing the music segment, and Dr. Corey Wong for coming on to talk about the Women Gender Series at CSU, um, as well as Gabe Peterson, uh, my co-news director who was in here earlier. Earlier, um, as well as Seth Bodine, our field reporter. How are those field lo- fields looking? Uh, if I'm in a field and no one's there to hear it, am I actually field reporting? <laughs> and the mic is off. <laughs> Thank you, JD Layton, our national news correspondent. I don't even know if I want to hear and what's going to happen. Junior apprentice meteorologist. And also, your mic is off. My name is Julia Battelis, your co news director here. Thank you for tuning in for the Rocky Mountain Review. We are in here Tuesday, Thursday. Four to five. Stop laughing. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.